Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Bob Stopper with you in Boston with the Edmonton Oilers CBA mandated off day today. Team will practice tomorrow. Thursday, they play the best team in the NHL. It's absolutely loaded for bear. This is Oilers Now brought to you by our title sponsor, World of Spas, Edmonton's number one hot tub and swim spa dealer. The ideal place to start your daily vacation momentarily. We'll uh, go on the River Cree Resort Casino hotline 780-496-0063. The River Cree Resort Casino open 24-7-365. Excitement. Bet on it. Keep texting us. Lots of texts coming in. Uh, Frank Cervelli talked about the asset um, requirement to procure Matthias Ekholm. What will that trade look like in 18 months from now? Overwhelming support for that trade from the Oilers fan base on the Ashley Fine Floors text line today. Get the new floors you've always wanted with Ashley Fine Floors, 143rd Street, 111th Avenue. Open Monday to Saturday. Uh, we'll tell you guests on the show receive gift cards to Japanese Village, Edmonton's favorite, Tepon Yaki uh, Steak Restaurant. Come in and check out their new location at 3975 Calgary Trail. As we head off to the River Creek Resort and Casino Hotline, and we welcome back to the show. We try to do this every couple of weeks, get somebody from Oilers Management on the show. Uh, our Oilers Now headliner today is presented by Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It's the best you've ever tasted. Search for Wilhawk W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. It was good to see our next guest in uh, Buffalo last night. We welcome back to the show Oilers Director of Pro and Assistant General Manager Brad Holland. Hello, Brad. How are you doing? Not too bad, Bob. How about yourself? Uh, not bad. It's windy here in Boston, but it's not minus 15 like it is in Edmonton. You got a deluge when you flew home after uh, the uh, trade deadline. Has it eased up a bit in TO, or are we still going to have some uh, unseasonably cool temperatures in Toronto when we get there after the game in Boston? Surprisingly, we, we almost um, couldn't get out. They, they let us sit in the tarmac for a little bit. And when I got back, uh, there was about a 45-minute line for taxis. I thought we were in the middle of winter. Two days later, the snow was melting. And today, I went for a walk, and I had to take off my coat because it was too warm. I don't know what's going on here, but I'll take it. All right. Uh, you're in. Uh, well, let's get to it. Uh, the NHL trade deadline has come and passed. We just had Frank on the show. Uh, you know, we have Frank on Tuesdays and Elliot on Fridays, and they're two of the most plugged in guys in the business. A month out, uh, I, I think many people thought it was going to be a buyer's market. But about two weeks out, we started to see a lot of significant players moving, maybe well ahead of the deadline. Was this a surprise to you at all, Brad? Yeah, absolutely. I talked to somebody that I, that I trust, somebody, like you said, well, like plugged into the league, and it was after the deadline. He said that he had never seen anything like that after covering the league for 30 years. I certainly haven't, and I don't think anybody expected it. Um, it was certainly exciting, though. I mean, I, I even enjoyed it. I, I, when I remember when I was younger, the trade deadline was always exciting, and it was usually disappointing. This one lived up to it more. Uh, the Oilers stepped up, 
and made uh, a significant deal. And you know I love Reed Schaefer. I love the pick. I thought Tyler Wright, uh, I thought that was a courageous pick by Tyler late in the first round. A lot of people thought that uh, Reed Schaefer was a mid-second rounder. I know what I saw during the course of the Edmonton-Seattle playoff series. I saw a guy that was a unicorn in today's game. We don't see a lot of big, tough physical forwards uh, with an impetus to play the game a certain way. And I thought that there was some skill there for a guy that size. So, But there's an old saying, Brad, you got to give to get. Uh, from your perspective, uh, and I know you guys were monitoring a lot of defensemen and constantly keeping an eye on Arizona. Why, why do you think Matias Ekholm ultimately was the right piece for the Edmonton Oilers? I think he checked, like, like Jacob Chicken, he, he checked a lot of boxes. We, 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 we were close on a number of players, but the ones that we were most interested in were players that we thought could fit our system, could help us address needs that we maybe couldn't address internally, at least not for a little bit. Um, players that would make an impact today, and then players that would be around for a while, that become part of our culture and could do so, you know, on a team-friendly deal. On You know, the, the, some of the um, free agent deals that you have to sign, and you're competing against seven, eight different teams, the prices get, get goofy. So this, this was an excellent player. This was a, and, and I think maybe one of the things that we underestimated um, and we've seen up close now is just how good of a person, how good of a leader, how good of a mentor he is to our younger players, even to our veterans. This is a player who's been around a long time, who's played 70-some-off playoff games, you know, he's, he's seen everything there is to see the National Hockey League level, and he's able, like, you know, not, not to the level of Duncan Keith, because nobody's the level of Duncan Keith, but to impart some of those things that he has learned to our group. And, and we thought that was going to be invaluable, and we didn't realize how, how much he would do. In, in game one, he was already, he could watch the game, he was directing traffic on the ice, he was talking on the bench. He's been an absolutely invaluable ad for us, and I think, like you said, the, the, the price was high, but when you find a player like this and he does check all of the boxes, you do have to pay to, to bring someone like that in. So you give up Schaefer, you give up the future number one. Brad, right now, nobody listening to this show has any problem giving up a future number one because they know what's at stake in the short term. You've got McDavid and Settle. These are, I mean, we might, we might five years from now, Brad, we might be sitting there having a, a, a seven up, maybe spiked with a little something good <laughs> in it going. Holy crap, we watched the greatest player in the history of the game. Like, he is literally on the press. So so the time was now. So nobody in oil country listening to the show has an issue of trading a future number one. Again, Schaefer, real uh, real good pick. But there was another part of that trade that, to me, was a, the retainment. 4% people. Some people, why didn't they get more than 4%? But that a lot, and it spoke to maybe the collaborative effort. Maybe you can shed some light on this. You know, you got Bill Scott overseeing the uh, the cap side of things. That was an important two hundred and fifty thousand dollars that the Preds retained, wasn't it? Absolutely. We, we knew that we wanted to address some more depth, and Bill Scott is is he is, is in on every discussion that we have. Describing the cap implications, identifying how we can maybe structure the deal to, to, to give ourselves more flexibility. Um, we did it last year. We were able to, to add a, a forward depth piece from Derek Broussard after adding Kulak. We did it again this year. And we're hoping that, that this just it, it creates not only does it give you more depth, and that's a, you know, a, a trendy word, but it creates internal competition. We now are going to, when Evander Kane comes back, we're going to have serious and hard discussions about you know, who to play. And that means that anyone who gets in the lineup is never going to want to come back out. And it's going to create this, 
you know, yeah, internal competition that the players themselves are going to raise their game because they don't want to be sitting in the press box. So we think that that, that addition, and it, and it was made absolutely possible by the retention, um, is going to make us a better team. And little things like that in the salary cap world can be the difference between winning and losing. Brad Holland, Oilers assistant GM, joins us. He's our Oilers now headliner for Wilhock Beef Turkey. Brad, how much uh, pre-work was done from an analytics perspective and a video perspective? Because you knew, you obvi- you know, Ken Holland obviously wanted to target the defense. Yep. Um, and how much of that was you in person, advanced scouting? Because I was getting texts from guy. oh, Brad Holland's in San Jose tonight and Nashville's here. And, oh, he must be looking at Eric Carlson. So... You know, was it all part and parcel, and was there a, a lot of extra work being done in terms of the video, which I think is sort of a nuanced part of pro scouting today? Well, you know what, and I, I think we discussed this before. We kind of have an ebb and flow to the season. Early on, you, you, have, a, you have a wide funnel. You're putting players into a, a, a big basket, and you're saying at some point in the next six months, next 12 months, including free agency, some of these players that might shake a free, might become available, and they could help us. They either fit our team, they fit our structure, they fit both, they fit a need. So we're, we're, we're really, you know, drawing from a wide closet. So then as the season goes on, you're kind of like players will get signed, players will get traded, you know, maybe an area of need will, will disappear. Like we had maybe some forward depth questions, and all of a sudden, Yanmark and Costin come up, and you've got found money which would never have happened if, you know, unfortunately, Van Kane and, and, and Kyler Yamamoto, Yamamoto got hurt. But now we come up and we find out we have these two good players. So your needs can, can change during the course of the season. And then other teams can play their way in, play their way out. So you kind of you resist the urge to run around and chase these guys until you get into the, probably the, the January, February, March area. And that's now where you need to be in the building seeing what is he today. Are we trading for an idea of him that we see on video or that we thought he was before? We'll be trading for exactly what this player is today, and the only way to figure that out is to sit on them and watch them. And we had unbelievable organizational pickup um, from people who not wouldn't normally be on the road. We knew this was a very important trade deadline. Everybody got out, and we had multiple eyes on every one of our prime targets. And I think that really helped us because in the, the, the deadline room, the war room, everybody had an opinion. Everybody was able to weigh in. Like, I saw this. I saw that. I didn't see that. But, you know, I didn't see him as much as you. So it, it created great conversation. I'm a, I'm a big believer that the more opinions you have in the room, the better off you're going to be. Yeah, well, and there's nothing wrong with having a difference of opinion on some matters as well, Brad. Uh, tell me this. Is it the Cadbury secret? Uh, in terms of information sharing or, you know, like a lot of teams, I was watching Chicago from, and I know I talked about Lafferty, but I was watching Chicago to see what was going to happen with Days because I wondered, well, you know, part of me was looking at the West in Colorado thinking they need another center. They lost Kadri. Would Taze make sense there? Would O'Reilly make sense there? And to me, everything got going when Taze announced that he was done for the year and then boom, the Leafs went and got O'Reilly. Brad, to me, that's when you know what got real, in a hurry. <laughs> well, you know, I've thought a lot about this, and I think the quality of player available this season was very unique. I mean, you look, you know, last year you, you had a number of good players move teams. This year you had four or five times that, impact makers at, at every at every position. And I think, you know, one thing we do... I think every team does. It's nothing that we do that other guys aren't doing. We, we look at the market. What market are we in? 
and who might be competing with us in that market? Well, if you start counting and say, well, there's three guys that we think are impact guys, but there's five teams in this market. And, you know, a top six, a team in the top six, they're saying, ooh, there's five teams, or so there's five players, but there's, you know, there's eight teams. I think really, it really got going when um, Bo Horvat moved to the island. And this was a team, I believe, out of the playoffs at the time. I think it signaled to the east. Everybody perked up, like, wow. If, 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 they're, if they're going in, well, we better too. And, and everybody's chasing Boston. So I think the two things that kind of came together, the, the quality of player, the pace, the O'Reilly, like these, are, these are generation Stanley Cup winners, individual conflict winners. Um, and that, I think, was unique, but then the markets were unique. The West was quiet. I think everybody was waiting to see what would happen. Whereas in the East, it just went off. And it, it's like dominoes. Boom, 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 boom. Um, there were a couple small deals in the West. I think ours, uh, the 28th, um, preceded by Niederreiter was, a, was a, a good move in Winnipeg. Barbershop, these, these are good players going to good teams with, with cup aspirations. And then I think the West slowly picked up, and then the, the markets were going there. So you had to jump in. And I think it became a seller's market because of the quality of player, because of the keeping up with the Joneses mentality, and everybody got in. And then I, I think, you know, it was interesting... Did you watch the NBA trade deadline? Yes. Bob? Yeah. Yes. It, it, was, it was remarkable how many picks were being traded. And I thought, you know, there are managers look at that and, and see, well, oh, we, you know, if they're doing it, then you can't be crazy to do it. But, but we have always, I think, valued our picks because we, we've seen the, the Renes in the seventh round or, or the Datsuk and Zetterbergs or Points and Kucherov, Palat in the seventh round. We, we hold this idea that those guys could become available. So the draft, the draft picks we hold are really valuable. But as, as, you know, as the NBA became more analytical, as the NHL becomes more analytical, you start to see this, this, this theory of, of the time value of money. I think Julian Brisbois came out and said it. You know, he nailed it. Trying, yeah, the picks that I'm trading today won't help me win a cup for this, this team. So... I may as well take those uncertainties and trade them for a known quantity. Well, a team that doesn't need to win now, that doesn't need money now, they'll take the uncertainty. That's great. A dollar now or five dollars later, great. But it could be a dollar now or zero dollars later. So to Julian, teams that are loading up trying to win, they're better off taking that uncertainty and cashing in for real dollars today. I think that's where the evolution, I mean, you look at the teams that spend first-round picks, a lot of them have very, very mature analytics departments, Boston. Tampa, Toronto, Los Angeles. Um, these are teams I think that are starting to see the draft is inherently uncertain. And if we can take picks and turn that into value for our team today, especially when we have someone like Connor and Leon, it's like, as Julian said, it's a no brainer. Well, from 2005 to 2013, Brad, there was a study done that said after draft slot 24 in the draft, after the 24th overall pick, you have a 2% chance in drafting a star player, which is a top six forward, a top four D, or number one goalie. That's one out of every 50 picks. So, and I know we've discussed this before. Right, like. We've discussed this before. The Oilers, since the 2003 draft, since that 03 draft year, last 20 years of the draft have not drafted beyond round one a forward that has had a 60-point season in the National Hockey League. And they're not the only team that has struggled no. with... Because you know what? The best skilled players often go in the top. That's just the reality of it. Tell me this, without totally sharing everything that happened, you make a trade like that for Ekholm, 
Does it get the juices flowing in the room in the hockey ops office? Like, do guys get pumped up for that? Like, can you? That was. I can tell you that was the most fun. I'd say it really came together. Slowly, you know, it's what is the old saying? And it happened gradually and then suddenly. That's really what happened here. Like he's on our list, he's off our list. They're playing their way in. They're kind of falling out. There's whispers he could go. We were crossing our fingers. We really felt like this was a player that could really help us. We just had to wait and let the let you know the predators decide that this is a move that, that they thought was going to help them, you know, be better down the road. And this is something that they were going to do. So when that became available, um, and you mentioned it, it was a high it was a high price. And you know what lost in this, I think, is. The loss we we have of Tyson Berry. Yeah. Uh, Tyson Berry was a loyal soldier. He was an excellent player for us. He provided excellent value. He, he made the, the world's greatest power play run effectively and efficiently. Connor and Leon make that thing go, absolutely. But he was always a good release valve for them. If they got into trouble, they knew he was going to be there. He knew how to play. I mean, he's played on a, on a power play since he got in the league with either McKinnon, Matthews, or McDavid. He knows how to defer to these great players. So that had value. And his family, Emma Rose and his wife, um, Leo and son, they were part of the Edmonton Oilers family. They were part of the community. So it, it hurt losing him as well. So the asset cost was, it was a big one. Um, but it, it was something that we thought, and I, I, to answer your question, we thought was going to make us significantly better. We saw him as a difference maker. And when we almost couldn't believe it when, when we agreed to it. And then, yeah, it was it was... It was very exciting. It was a jubilant feeling because I think this is probably the most significant um, trade acquisition of, of Ken's time in Edmonton and definitely my time in Edmonton. Brad, one, one final one for you. Under Jay Woodcroft, Edmonton has the best points percentage of any team in the West. They've got the they've been the highest scoring in the NH, team in the NHL since Jay became the head coach. The power play is the power play, but the five on five scoring has dramatically improved. There's been one area that's struggled. It's penalty killing. And when a coach comes up with solutions as to how to improve five v five play, I'm thinking it's personnel related. How different was that part of the factor in the combination of Ekholm and Bukestad getting that size and lankiness and how we now kill penalties and another right shot to take some draws, even though he's not killer on it statistically. They recalled DeHarnay, you know, a month and a half ago. He's going to play game 21 on Thursday. You get Ekholm, DeHarnay 6'6 six, six and a half, Ekholm 6'4, Bukestad 6'6. Six, six. Was that part of the targeting? Was this would help an area of, that's been a little bit of a trouble spot for the Oilers? Absolutely. I mean, I've listened to you for months now, highlight, you know, everything we've been doing well. I, we know internally that we have to be, have a better penalty kill. Um, this was probably the biggest focus. I think there, we could have probably pulled the trigger on a, on a more offensive player um, for our bottom six or even our top six. But I, I think that that was identified as maybe a bit redundant. You know, this was an area of need. These are players that do this for a living. I think Bukestad was in the top 25 or 30 for forwards on the penalty kill. Now, you can say that's because he's in Arizona and he's not um, he's not competing with really, really good penalty killers, but they also trusted him to do it. And it's not a hard, it's not an easy job, especially when you're under siege all night. And, and, and the, the, the face-offs was, was something that we identified, you know, when it's very different if you're the first-line center in Arizona, the second-line center if you played most nights. He's taking draws against Paul Horvath and Jonathan Taves and Ryan O'Reilly and Patrice Bergeron. Well, he, if he's your fourth-line center, he's not just taking those draws in the penalty kill, but if he's your fourth-line center and he's taking it against the other fourth-line center, then we thought he might be able to have a little bit of a bump. 
I mean, he saw last night. What was he, 10 and 0 in the face off this? I think. He so, went 10 and 0 last night, yes. Yes, exactly. So that's definitely an aberration. Not even O'Reilly or Horvath go 10 and 0, but he had a really good night. And I think, I think he's going to slide in well because he was playing high, high minutes against dangerous, dangerous competition. Well, now we're going to ask him to do a little bit less. But to just keep doing what he's doing. I think I saw last night a couple times where he showed the, the length of his, of his stick is incredible. He takes four or five hard strikes. Even if he's 10 feet behind a guy, you can reach in and disrupt the pass. He did two or three times. So definitely, the thought was we have enough offense. I think we have, we're going to return towards if Kane wouldn't have gotten hurt. You know, five 30 goal scorers, four 40, or three 40 goal scorers. Um, we have goal scoring. I think. Now, adding each dad, all six of our bottom six have 10-plus goals. Tossin, Ryan, um, Fogel, McLeod, Eustad, and the last one I'm losing. But I think yeah, Mark. We're now yeah, Mark's in, on in, pace for 10. He's at six. He's at six. So we've got, we've got players that are scoring goals for us. We wanted to prevent you know, a half goal or another, another half goal or a goal a game. And these players excel at it. I think... Um, Elkholm plus six in four games. He had a seven to two even strength goal share. Bustad's one to one, but you know he's, he's he scored a goal for us. He goes to the blue paint. He shoots from the floor. These are additions, I think, to help our defensive game. Brad, great stuff. Appreciate the time. Thank you for giving us the insight. Thanks, Bob. Talk to you soon. You bet. It's Brad Hall and he's our Oilers Now headliner brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's the best you've ever tasted. Search for Wilhock, W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. Still to come, the Oilers Now prospect report uh, this day in Oilers history. And we'll get to some of your texts off to a global news weather traffic update with Kevin Robertson.